Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. You are Locked On Wizards, your daily Washington Wizards podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Wizards podcast. Ben Standig here with Mr. Truth About It himself, Kyle Weedai, and we are about to talk about the Wizards' bleh performance against the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't know how much we're going to talk about that game, Kyle, because some of the games you have to almost chalk up to one of those nights. I don't know. We'll see if this is that, but at the moment, that's what I'm going with. Uh, before I let Kyle respond to that semi-not-really-hot take, uh, just a reminder, you can find all our podcasts on iTunes or Audio Boom or anywhere else you do your podcasting. You can also hit us up on Twitter anytime, at Locked on Wizards. I'm at Ben Standing, and Mr. Weedai here is at Truth underscore about it underscore it. It's very confusing with the underscores. I say this every time. Um, I don't know. This game was over from Jump Street, basically. The Buc- Even when the Wizards were, like, keeping it close early, they could never stop the Bucks. Giannis... I'm not going to try to say the last name. He's amazing. Career high, 39. He was superhero level tonight, and they were just dunking all over the place. It was it was a lump of coal. That's what it was. It's where, you know, tomorrow's Christmas Eve. It was definitely a lump of coal. And you'll have to excuse me. I'm sounding like I have a little bit of a cold. So, naturally, the Wizards give us a lump of coal. I'm coming down with a cold. The holidays are here. It's what it's all about. <laughs> but, um, you know, one of my fellow – Truth about it, writer Rashad Mobley wrote the the opening statements for this game, and he you know he sort of made a point. This is a statement game for the Wizards. You know, Milwaukee had just played the Cavs in like home and home series, played them well, lost both games, but Milwaukee's having a good year, and the Wizards are building momentum. So this was sort of a statement game. You win in Chicago, you have a day off, you go into Milwaukee, and for a second, and you know it seemed competitive. It was a fast-paced game. Like I think the Bucks went up nine-five. The Wizards countered right. up sixteen-thirteen. Bucks countered up twenty-one-eighteen, and then not only Giannis but the local guy Malcolm Brogdon. From that point on to the end of the fourth quarter, he scored seven points with two assists, and the cherry on top was a Jason Terry three-pointer to end the first quarter. And really, the game just they they never looked back. The Wizards just didn't had the fight or the heart and it was it was kind of disappointing and some of their really ugly their ugly side reared its head. Their ugly side reared its ugly head or whatever you want to say and we can get more into that later. Um but it was yeah, they gave up seventy three points in the first half. Um and then they got outscored fifty to thirty eight in the second half. And you think about well God, Milwaukee scored thirty eight to thirty seven points in the first quarter. So it was a game where as a team Nobody had it, and that's curious. <laughs> well, look, I mean, we're all thinking it. It's definitely a little bit curious when John Wall leaves the he, – he he signs off on the Bulls game by telling Buck and Phil, they say to him something like, 
you know, be, be you know, be careful tonight. He goes, I'm gonna go have fun or whatever, something to that effect, right? Yeah, it's something like, uh, don't party too much tonight. I will. Yeah, and I think that's like, <laughs> yeah. you can find it on Twitter. We we certainly put it out there. And you know, all right, whatever. Look, yeah, it, it, you're it, NBA players. You have a night off. Okay, you, you think whatever. Do do you can go out. Maybe you don't even drink that much. In fact, you we're not well, putting the game on this. Yeah, or whatever. And look, the reality is, look, John Wall, 18 points, 10 assists, only three turnovers. You know, in Without context, if I tell you those are his numbers, you know, that doesn't sound all-star level, yeah. but that's hardly a disaster. Bradley Beal, I guess you could say on some level, was due for an off game. What did he have? Eight straight games with at least 20. He only gets 10 on three of 10 shooting. He's now two of 12 from three over his last two games. Actually, from three over his last three games, he's five for 23. Yeah. So that's fairly ugly. But, you know, overall, obviously, he's been playing very well of late. Uh, good news. The best news of the night, Otto Porter came back from the back spasms right. that took him out of the last game. He was hot early. I think he made his first four threes, finished with 18 points. Also, like I said, the Bucks were insane. The Wizards were a yeah, disaster. Like you said. And, and they, they have guys who are capable of playing him tough on a one-on-one basis, but it seemed like a team, like they, some rotations were off, like, yeah. And the Bucks played really well. Right, it was the best, the best of them, the worst of the Wizards, and it didn't, and and it just was a bad matchup, I guess. I mean, I was a little surprised at Ubre. This is a, Ubre against Giannis seems like the perfect matchup if you're going to identify one from a physical standpoint for Ubre. But Brooks didn't seem to go there too much. It is what it is. But like I said, I don't even know if there's that much to say about this game. But there's some points about this game that I'm. The, from a bigger picture standpoint, I'd like your take on. Yeah, the only thing to say about it is they play Milwaukee the very next oh, yeah. game, the day after Christmas. And yes. so that will be – we'll see. No, no, and, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, we'll see. I mean, look, if, at the end of the day, if they win that game at home, you split with a, with a, with a contender home and home, you take that and move on. Ultimately – you know, we, we always talk about point differential. Well, let's, let's contender. Let's sit, like, are we talking about Eastern Conference make, Finals make, contender? Make the playoff contender. Okay. okay. Yeah, make the playoff contender. If you get lucky, somehow host the first round. Because yeah. there are no the... contenders in the East past Cleveland. No, right, right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Not, no, no, like, no slander to Toronto, but. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I couldn't agree more. I, and, you know, we, and we, people like to talk about point differential when you're trying to size up who's good, who's bad. It doesn't really matter, though. In the real world, all that matters is you get a win. So if the Wizards win by two at home, split you know you call it a day and again the, the wizards have been very good of late even beyond comparing it to the low bar where they started they've been better late so if they bounce back after this bad game yeah. you know you can call it a wash for the most part but, yeah I, I do want to be mad about this game though but you're you're such a reasonable no, go, guy hey you know, you know what no I, no that no, no, i want to move on to the bigger issues but like i have to talk myself more out of being like god they just look crappy tonight i think it's because it was so over early yeah. I mean, literally the last three minutes of the first quarter, the game went away and they never really came back to the point where I'm like, all right, I think I got over my anger sometime yeah. at, when we were eating uh, chips, chips and chips and cheese at halftime, and I was like, all right, I, I don't see this, I don't see too much uh, changing uh, here, and, and and they never really, um, they never really did. So the final thing I'll say about it is, yeah. I, I think we feel this way because it's really just their second really bad blowout of the year, and they've had bad games where they've collapsed late, but. Even that Philly game where they're just getting blown out early, they came back and actually, I think, pulled within single digits. But this is the, you know, NBA teams have blowouts, and so that's why this one feels sort of a little bit extra. Well, what was the stat that was a John Schumann from NBA.com who said yeah. the Wizards had only trailed by 20 
more than or just one time this year in a game, but like, I was over like thirty game. minutes, and that yeah, yeah. So. Uh, I did see uh, David Duvall, who does some of the work behind the scenes for CSN, said that it was their worst loss since March against Cleveland when they lost by twenty five. So yeah, to your point, they have been largely in these games. Things happen over the course of eighty two. I saw some people on Twitter trade this guy. Yeah. Watch somebody in the doghouse. What? Calm down. We'll see if they 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 get run out of the gym on Monday. We'll have a different podcast conversation, and hey, we're going to have another podcast then, too, so we'll see what happens. Right. But let's get into some of this bigger picture stuff, because like we said, look, John Wall, by the numbers, had a reasonable game. Otto Porter played very well. Bradley Beal was off. That's going to happen. When when The key to surviving an NBA season and to winning in the playoffs is on those nights when everything isn't necessarily clicking with some guys, other people step up. We saw this with the Wizards plenty over, just you know, even last year or the couple of years where you had guys like... Ramon Sessions could come in and get 18. Nene was, you know, he was mostly a starter for his career, but, you know, he would he would be another guy that, that, that could score when you had Martel Webster, go on down the line. Kevin Serafin even once in a while could score some points where The second unit, the, the, look, they have been better of late. There is no argument about it. Somebody asked me earlier today or yesterday, why have the Wizards been turning around? And I said, honestly, as, as much as anything, I think it's the bench. They're giving them at least something. Where in the beginning of the year they were giving them less than zero to uh, name a bad '80s movie. I wasn't bad, but I didn't really care for it that much. <laughs> um, but this was an, a, a night of an example as to what, what, where the struggles with the second unit are, because they just don't really have anybody that you can say, okay, on this night you need to go do more, and you can't just say turn it over. Who, who can you point to on this? And I want we'll get into some specific people in a second, but it's hard to look at the second unit and think to yourself. Wow, where are they going to turn to get those fifteen to twenty points on a given night, or the ten rebounds, or the right. the three, the five assists, or whatever it is that you need on that night? And that's an issue. That's a big issue. Yes, the bench has been playing well as of late. They played really well against Chicago. That's probably the best, you know, that has been seen out of the Marcus Thornton Trey Burke combination ever. But they went from terrible to kind of okay, but still not sustainable and still is not going to help you in the long run. And so naturally there are these sort of couple feel-good stories like, oh, the bench is turning around, yada, yada, yada. But there's not one person, even if Ian, Jan, excuse me, <laughs> Jan Mahimi was healthy, there's not one person on this bench that you can truly turn to to either consistently and competently run the team or, like you said, sort of score some points. Yeah, Trey Burke has offense. He can be quick. Yeah, Marcus Thornton has the nickname Little Buckets. Yes, Andrew Nicholson, you know, has post moves. Yes, Jason Smith has a mid-range jumper. And by the way, what we, uh, what I tweeted about during the game, uh, Smith, Nicholson, and Thornton are all clients of agent Mark Bartelstein, as is Beal. Um, that's just sort of a, a side note. But no one... On this bench, my point is that no one can, no one's really reliable, and that's that's going to be an issue until they actually decide to do something with this roster. I'm just afraid, you know, that's not going to come until close to the trade deadline at this point because, you know, they have to see what they have. Well, you know, I don't even they, know what they can know. do. I mean, I, the, the only thing I kept saying was when Mahimi comes back, I'm not saying I would do it, but you could at least look to take Gortat, spin him around the trade trade rumor wheel, and see what you get because. His contract is reasonable in this day and age, and teams could use a guy like him, and you would at least have Mahimi to fill in the gap. Well, now there's no way you can trade Gortat. Impossible. 
I, well, let's just go here now on this because I still want to talk about the bench, but what the hell? Let's just go here now. I brought this do up it. during the game because the game got boring. So I was like, let me go hot take. I'm watching this Wizards team. This isn't the first time I thought this. I think at this point, when you factor in the bench, the roster, and everything, the most indispensable guy on this team right this minute, not saying over the course of time, but right this minute, is Marcin Gortat. Because when you consider the backups that they have in the front court, it tells you, I mean, the backups in the back court are not exciting. Every time they go to the Thornton-Burke combo, it's like, oh, my Lord, what's going to happen here today? McClellan and Sadoransky are interesting, but who knows yet. That is miles better than when you're talking about the big man situation you have. God bless Jason Smith. He's not designed to be a rim protector or defend interior guys. He had a kind of a wicked block against Milwaukee, we'll have to say. Yes. And he actually looked like he hurt his wrist and had to go out the game. So Yeah, I was trying to see if we had an update on that, but I haven't seen one yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, yes, that was a very nice block. He's not going to – that's not what his – game is and then you know Andrew Nicholson who honestly he is an unbelievably lucky at this point that uh we everybody's focused so much on what Jan Mahimi not playing that they've ignored so much something to the degree that the guy who was given the second most money by the Wizards here he's not playing but healthy 26 million four years right correct Probably that's it and he he said he he played the fewest minutes tonight because he was the last one to come off the bench when it when it was pure uh, time. But look, even if Nicholson, at peak Nicholson, he's a jump shooting or a, a, an outside shooting big man. He's not a rim protector. He's not a great rebounder. Th- th- they are in desperate straits if Gortat will ever leave. When you consider rebounding, uh, he's not a, he's not a Dikembe Mutombo inside, but he can give you some rim protection. And he, yeah. as, as many people have pointed out, he like leads the NBA in, I guess, what, screen points, points generated off his screens, you know, what he does. Is very subtle. If you take him off the court, I, I literally don't know what the Wizards would do. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that John Wall isn't the better player. I think people get confused with this indispensable tag. It's not better. It's what can, it's what's the next move? At least hypothetically, in my take, if Wall were to be out again, if he's out for the year, might as well start some looking at the draft. I just mean if Wall's out for any stretch of time, you have Beal, you give you give Beal the ball more, maybe you get Otto more involved. Yeah. Get you more shots from Markeith and Gortat. And between, again, I know it's not great, between Burke, Thornton, the two young guys, you cobble together something. You could even go up and pick up a guard off the street who could give you something. Good luck finding a big man who could do anything, because if they could, they'd be in the league. Right. It's not – It's it's so I'll stop yeah, talking. But. I think it was – yeah, it was a semi-hot take, <laughs> and that's fine. I I think a lot of people on Twitter seem to get burned by it, and it's like, you're right, they're not sort of thinking about this on the same level. Yeah, you know, the first, my first reaction, yeah, like Wall and Beal are more important, obviously, but if you are talking about indispensable considering your exact points, um, who is behind Gortat, it's true. And I think it really leads to, now if you were to ask me to say like, all right, who's the third most important player to this team like making some noise in the playoffs, I'm going to say Marquise Morris because, you know, Otto's going to be there, Gortat's going to be there. This guy can be a difference maker. But again, going back to Gortat, it, I think it just goes to show how he's not appreciated enough. Like, yeah, we, you know, earlier on when he joined the Wizards, he sort of seemed to miss bunnies and he's not doing that as much anymore. Yeah, you see him bobble the ball, and people magnify that every once in a while. But you realize this, he has, like, amazing hands. Some of the passes he catches, you know, some of the, the 
that we've seen from Wall. Like he has amazing hands. He hits the boards ha- boards hard. He puts himself in the right position. He'll he'll block some shots. He'll disturb some shots. No, he's not the best sort of rim protector, but he's a good rotation player. He had, I mean, and I'm talking about defensive rotation. He has sort of he has good feet. So he is just not appreciated enough. So yeah, when you talk about indispensable, especially to your point about like who else would they get to replace the, him? Considering it's, I, I think I, I'm with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, if if you know, again, if Nene was still on this team, then I wouldn't be saying right. that because Nene could give you not the exact same player, but he could give you enough of that stuff to get by. But that's not where they're at at, 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 at this point. Um, which actually, uh, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah. So anyway, I think that's interesting. But let's, let's circle back because I want to get your take on this with the Nicholson thing. You 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 already mentioned the agent thing, which is I hadn't thought about that before. But that's interesting that so many of these guys have the same agent. I can't comprehend. There was always this urban legend that Martel Webster's extension was some sort of a uh, yeah. The Wizards used to be a Dan Fagan team because right. he was Wall's agent. I think he was Nene's agent. Like there's a and granted. Fagan, like like Bartlestein, who works with Priority Sports, they have a ton of clients. So sometimes he's going to have several clients sure. on a single team. But yeah, it is interesting how the Wizards sign both backup Orlando Magic big men. They happen to have the same agent. They signed Thornton out of like God left field. Like why did you bring him back again? You know, and they all have the same agent. And and it's the same agent who who was just behind Bradley Beal getting a huge contract so definitely interesting i'm gonna just leave it at that it's interesting i don't have anything other to say other than it's notable uh but in terms of nicholson like again if you like actually let me circle this back you said markeith morris is maybe the third most important player to this team having a good run and i i totally get your point here's the thing about morris it reminds me similar to what what was nene right when when you were counting on nene but you didn't have a viable backup behind him you were in trouble because he was going to miss 20 games. We all knew this. Uh, you know, and, you know, he could look out at any point in any game. You needed somebody to be able to step in and fill in the gap. That was one reason they went out and got a guy like Chris Humphreys at that one point to, right. to help in case anyone went out. So right now with Morris, the guy who would be the obvious fill-in would be uh, Andrew Nicholson. Now, we can all sit here and say, Marquise Morris, you need to play hard every game and be a you know professional and all that, <laughs> and that's fine. I get that. You, we, we can all agree, if he played harder every game, he might be a borderline all-star. He doesn't do that. He seems to have nights where he just doesn't have that go, go. And he only had two rebounds, and I think, like, in 26 minutes tonight. Okay. I'm not I'm not dismissing that or giving him a pass. I'm saying this is the reality of the situation. He's a very good player who can do a lot of good things, but it, but there's but there's negatives with it. Just like with Nene, you had some negatives you had to deal with. The problem is that the player that the Wizards brought in to, in theory – whether they thought of it this way or not, to in theory fill in the gap, is giving you zero. I mean, literally, he doesn't. Andrew Nicholson does you not. You know, it's play. wild. I just thought of it, and looking at like all the Wizards who have played for the team over the past five years. But Kevin Serafin is. I'm. I'm going to go out to say he's a better defensive player than Nicholson. Actually, that's not even going out on that much of a limb. They're both not good, but he's better than Nicholson, and he's less of a black hole than Nicholson. I mean, not that Nicholson is like this total black hole in offense, although that's, that's sort of the accusation, but he gets it, you know, he's, you're not seeing him. I guess we have to compare their assist rates, but it's funny how 
you know, in the past, like you said, I think you even mentioned you dropped a Drew Gooden bomb earlier. Like, if Jason Smith is injured, like, all right, where's Drew Gooden? Like, who else would they get? And, unfortunately, they're just, you know, they've signed Nicholson to this four-year contract. And, you know, he's still, what, 26? Like, you know, he can turn his season around. Like, things can happen. But coming in, he was far from being known as any sort of average defensive player. And so that's sort of the concern here. I've been surprised watching him now on a – you know, here's here's, here's a dirty secret. For those of us who are not NBA paid 24-7 to watch everything, you can't watch every player in the league. And by the way, neither do the biggest insiders in the league. They can't watch everybody every game. So no matter what anybody wants, no matter what you want to think, you almost get caught off by surprise sometimes when you watch somebody on a more regular basis. And watching how slow Andrew Nicholson is in all aspects of his game, including getting off the shot, let alone defending or rebounding, has been something of a surprise to me. I mean, yeah. in, in preseason, the man of a thousand moves, I, I bought into that because he was making shots. He seemed There seemed to be more fluidity in his game. I don't know what's happened, but it just feels like it's not there. He seems like he's lost a lot of confidence, clearly. Brooks would never say this, but clearly he's lost confidence in him. Yeah, I made a comment on a podcast. I think it was a podcast. I talked. I talked to you talk, people. Man. You talk knows? a lot. It's good. Yeah. Uh, I said I would bet you that the next time Pete Brooks needs to go that deep into the bench, he goes to Ochefu first before Nicholson. Now that Ochefu had gotten some run, and sure enough, again they were already down by a million. But Jason Smith gets hurt, and he went to Ochefu. And you know what? I don't think that's necessarily the wrong move to go. I mean, the kid is going to be raw, this, that, and the other. He's got he's some got, energy. He's got size. Yeah. He's actually a very good passer from the high post. He's got some energy. He's got that size. I, like I said, for all the talk where everybody's having about Jan Mahimi, and that's a whole other story of potential disaster, we'll see. Yeah. The Nicholson scenario is almost, in my opinion, worse. He's healthy and not playing. Right. That In one allure about Nicholson coming in was he could – Stretch floor, you know, he, he's that sort of stretch four. He can even get out to the three-point line, whatever. But to do that, you have to think like, and I haven't just sort of studied him enough in this regard, but you have to be able to set some good screens. And I'm not sure if he's doing that. I mean, you think about when you Gortat, you know, yeah, he gets called for some offensive fouls. And it's one of those weird things like, um, I think it's even harder to judge sometimes in holding in, in, in a NFL. But when Gortat is setting screens, he's constantly, he has to reset and move and turn, but then get still. And so his feet are moving so much when he's setting screens. He even, that that's another display almost of his footwork and athleticism. With Nicholson, he just moves like molasses. So I, I guess, I mean, maybe he's more still on screens, but that's not how you do it in today's NBA. Again, I need to go back and sort of watch his play on the court to really observe that. But, you know, that's that's just another detail where you think, you know, this is what's not ha- allowing this guy to succeed on this team. And, and let's go even to go back to the point about Gortat being indispensable. Let's just say Nicholson was even at least being helpful right now. You still, with Nicholson and Morris as your two main bigs, you still would have issues rebounding, defending the rim, and all that. Going back to that point, I mean, it's hard to figure out how you could fill in that gap. You know, you could worst case put Beal and Otto in the backcourt, put Uber at the three, and go from there. I'm not saying that would be John Wall. Saying at least you could figure out something. So right. anyway, I, it, it's it's the Wizards have been better. So to circle all back, the Wizards have been better. I'm gonna for the now somewhat dismiss this performance, even though it was ugly as hell. 
But the bigger picture, we shouldn't maybe – this is maybe a good reminder that war, what the improvements that they've been made of late is to go from being a, a straight lottery team to now they're back in the mix for the playoffs. But that's not the same as saying their their ceiling is – Again, like you said, it, there's a big gap between Cleveland and everybody else, but their ceiling right now, we, I, I, until that bench figures out a way to get a lot better, you can't even put them in the category of whoever you think are the best three, four, or five teams in the East, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the East, and they're going to be – the Wizards could just sort of be up and down ugly for the rest of the season, and they're going to be in it just because it's the East. But they have three home games left in 2016 – they play the, the like we said Bucks again. They play Indiana again. Lost to them in a heartbreaker, and they play the the Brooklyn Nets um, to round out the year. And then after that, it, it kind of gets scary because we we knew going in like they're just a lot. I mean, especially when you get to March, there are a ton of road games. But you know, entering 2017, 17, you have to go. Um, you have to go on the road to a lot of quality teams. Um, you got to play Houston, Milwaukee again. Have to play Boston. So. This is a chance for them to at least, you know, bounce back from this bad game with the, a home stretch. And so if they get three wins in a row, they'll be what? So they'll be 16 and 16. So they can they can theoretically close 2016 out at that magical 500. That would be mark that we always like. Oh God, it's always become such a thing over the years. Yeah, could they get over 500? Yeah, that would be. From where they were, just in that sense, regardless of anything else, that would be something of a miracle to get the 500 by the, the end of 2016, considering people wanted to fight, blow the whole thing up like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I think we've had enough uh, Milwaukee Bucks uh, Wizards conversation for now. We're going to have more of it Monday when the Wizards are back in town to face the Bucks. Uh, and Kyle and I will actually be back here in a couple seconds. We'll be have another podcast for you um, over the Christmas break. So let me just say for now, happy holidays to everybody out there. Happy holidays to you, Mr. Weedye. Enjoy your uh, big day. Hope Santa hooks you up. Uh, doesn't give you a lump of coal. Uh, he did give you a bag of uh, chocolate-covered potato chips. I almost tore into those earlier. I'm just going to warn you now. Um, I'm going to have to try those later. All right, so enough of that for now. Thank you guys for listening. As always, check us out on iTunes. Or an audio boom. And until next time, see ya. You are Locked On Wizards, your daily podcast on the Washington Wizards. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.